6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Isaiah, chapter 19, verses 19 and 20. Well, and by the way, those of you that may say, gee, I don't understand this about angels and so forth, let me call your attention to the fact that in Jude and Second Peter, these things are referred to. The angels who went after strange flesh, the angels that are chained in darkness, the apostate angels. When you study the fall of Lucifer, as we did in Isaiah 14, you know that a third of the angels fell with them. Some of them, the ones that apparently were involved in Genesis 6, are in chains of darkness, apparently going to be released in Revelation 9. Don't want to be around then. Never met a demon I liked. Okay. Okay. Question then. Let's get back to what we started with all this stuff. What about the pyramid and Stonehenge? You're going to run into that all the time. I've tried to show you enough to get you intrigued so you're aware of the fact that this isn't just off the wall. There are all kinds of valid issues that are puzzling sound scholarship about those structures. Fine. But let me remind you of something, just to tuck away your mind. It's after being 30 years in the computer business, there's an expression that goes around the hallways that says, if you torture the data long enough, it will confess to anything. <laughs> and when you look at the contortions they go through with the units and the uh, a radius of a circle whose circumference is such and such and all the contriving here, some of them are quite provocative, some are quite contrived. And I might point out that Petri and some of the ones that spent their life studying the pyramid before they died denied any sensitivity to the presumably mystical side of the pyramid. Petri's father was a pyramidologist, so was he, and he did a lot of sound scientific measurement. But there's a number of these guys that uh, who got into it said, uh, no way. But let me go on further because there's some other risks that you and I are going to face as we leave this room tonight. I first of all would like you to be sensitive to the dangers of fetishes and obsessions like this. And let me give you one that is authentic, in which the origin it has no doubt. Turn to Numbers 21. Numbers chapter 21. They're in the wilderness. God sends a plague of serpents. When the serpents bit the people, they died. He tells Moses, I want you to make a brass serpent, put it up on a pole. Everyone that looks to that brass serpent will be saved. Those that don't will die. You've got to be kidding. Weird, right? Why is God doing that? For lots of reasons, one of which is prophetic. And we, we get that insight when we go to John chapter 3 and we find Jesus talking to Nicodemus at night and Jesus tells Nicodemus, as Moses raised the brass serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be raised up so that everyone that looks to him will not die, but live forever. It's a model. It's a prophetic model. Pretty exciting, pretty interesting. Especially when you start analyzing the Levitical implications of this. Brass is 
the symbol, Levitically, of judgment. Brass was the metal that could sustain fire. It speaks idiomatically of fire, and so brass speaks of judgment. That's why there was a brazen altar. That's why there was a brazen labor. Everything outside the tabernacle and tabernacle court was brass. Everything in the temple, outside the temple proper, was brass. Inside it was gold. Outside it was brass. Brass speaks of judgment. The serpent, of course, speaks of sin. It speaks of Genesis 3. So a brass serpent is sin-judged. You mean to tell me a serpent is a symbol of Jesus Christ? In this context, yes, because the letter to Corinthians, Paul tells us that Jesus was made sin for us. You and I have absolutely no capacity to understand what that means. That a perfect, righteous, incarnate deity could be made sin. We have no idea what that means. And we can study a lot and get some insights, but we should start out from the beginning to realize far more profound than you and I can probably get our minds around. But the brazen serpent was a symbol of that. Oh, by the way, it's fun. To, I should mention one thing. If I didn't, uh, this is somewhat, by re, I think, by way of review from last time. But, of course, the story of the brazen serpent comes out of uh, the wilderness, ends up in a Jewish capital in Egypt called Alexandria. It gets tailored into a Greek legend of Aesculapius, which becomes the god of healing. And as the symbol of Aesculapius is a single serpent on a pole. And it actually goes back to Numbers 21, believe it or not. But what I'm always amused by is when somebody was designing the symbol for the U.S. Army Medical Corps, they decided, I guess, that it would be more symmetrical to have two serpents around a pole. And you see that on cars, you know, with as a symbol of medicine, the two serpents on a pole. What's interesting you need to know is that two serpents is not the symbol of Aesculapius. It's the symbol of the god of Hermes, the god of commerce. And it's always fun to, uh, to uh, see that the doctors who so proudly present the two serpents are sort of telegraphing, uh, you know, that whole business about the doctor who told his patient that he only had six months to live, and the patient says, yeah, that's too bad because I, I can't pay your bill. He says, that's okay, I'll give you another six months to live. But uh, anyway. Okay, I'd like you to turn to 2 Kings 18. 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 4. Now we're talking about Hezekiah. This is the father of Manasseh. We're three chapters earlier than the last time we were in 2 Kings. But speaking of Hezekiah, it says, verse 4, he removed the high place. He did just the opposite of what his son later did. He removed the high places, broke the images, cut down the idols, and broke in pieces the bronze servant that Moses had made. You've got to be kidding. Yeah. The brass serpent of Numbers 21 was still floating around in Israel 690 years later. Why did Hezekiah destroy it? Read the rest of the verse. He broke in pieces of the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. And he called it Nehushtan, that is a piece of brass. He had to destroy it. Why? Because it became a fetish. Now here's a piece of material that is not in doubt. It's not a great pyramid or a stonehenge or a shroud of Turin or something. It was authentic, apparently, Right? And it became an encumbrance to their spiritual walk. Now that's interesting. I have some dear friends that came to the Lord Jesus Christ through teaching of the Great Pyramid. These people came out of the occult, but they encountered a gospel presentation of the Great Pyramid, one of these variations that float around the community. And from that, were so impressed, came to the Lord Jesus Christ, got in the Bible, grew, and they are fabulous, growing Christians today. And they came to the Lord through the Great Pyramid. That doesn't matter. It still can be occultic. Even something that's authentic is dangerous if it takes you out of the Word of God. If it takes you out of the Word of God. Now, 
You often ask yourself, gee, if I'm getting oppressed by my sin, am I getting condemned by Satan or am I getting convicted by the Holy Spirit? Tough problem. You're really hassled about some sin in your life. It can be one of two things. It can be Satan putting you on a guilt trip, grinding you down. It also can be the Holy Spirit drawing you. How do you tell? Very simple. Is it drawing you into the Word of God or pulling you away? If the sin in your life is drawing you away from the Bible, away from the Word of God, that's Satan putting you on a trip. If your conviction of that sin is drawing you into the Word, that's the Holy Spirit working in your life. When He starts, He finishes. The point is, does the Great Pyramid or Stonehenge bring you into the Word or out? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't make a hobby of some of these things if you're drawn to it, but be careful. They're occultic. Do they have biblical roots? Fine, that's, that's nothing. Most of the heresies prevalent today are built on what originally was a germ of truth, exaggerated, bent out of shape, and used to destroy you. Satan's goal is very clear, and that's to get you derailed. Now, why did I get into all of this? Gee, we're going to make it. Good. Because of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians is probably the most important prophetic book in the New Testament. Chapter 2 is the kernel of it. And in verse 3 it speaks of the man of sin, the son of perdition, the guy that I will call the coming world leader. Some people call him the Antichrist. That, word has, that label has some limitations. But anyway, verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped. So that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Boy, that can't be far away, because the temple is brewing. You all heard about the coming temple book. It's also on tape if you'd rather. And, uh, but in any case, the point is the temple is starting that says we're getting close. It doesn't take any imagination, if you have any biblical knowledge at all, to realize that Babylon's being rebuilt, as Isaiah and Jeremiah predicted. That there's a super state emerging in Europe, like Daniel and Revelation talk about. That there, the, the Soviet Union is the arsenal for the Arabs to invade Israel, like Ezekiel talked about. That Israel is regathered in the land, like most of the prophets predicted, and specifically getting ready to build their temple. Boy, it doesn't take... Jesus said, you know the times... You, you can judge the weather, right? I don't know if you were a sailor, you know, there's the old thing, you know, uh, uh, red sky in the morning, sailor take warning, red sky at night, sailor's delight. I was amazed to discover that's in the Bible. Jesus himself made reference to that. You can discern the weather, you can't discern the signs of the times. Boy, you and I should know the signs of the times. It's happening. Now... If this guy's about to surface, let's notice what else is going to come to this. And by the way, verse 5, I love it. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things. Paul's writing this letter to a group of people he spent three weeks with. These people came off the street, came to Christ, and were the church in Thessalonica. He left, went to Berea, and then to Corinth, heard they had trouble, wrote him a couple of letters. They learned in the first three weeks with Paul... Not only the way of salvation and the redemption in Christ, they learned the rapture, they learned the Antichrist, they learned that the rapture would be pre-trib. That's all in chapter 2. And he says, remember, I, I showed you all these things when we were together. It's interesting. Paul laid all this on these guys when they were young, brand new, three-week-old Christians. Kind of fun. Anyway, verse 6. Now you know what restraineth that he might be taken, revealed his time. That's, of course, the Holy Spirit. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now hindereth will hinder until he be taken out of the way. It's a person. Who's hindering the mystery of iniquity? The Holy Spirit. In his unique, peculiar role with the church that Paul talks about so eloquently in Ephesians and elsewhere. And after he's taken away, then shall the wicked one be revealed. Don't waste your time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. You will not know if you're in Christ because you're going to be out of here. 
In fact, you've got to be out of here before it can be revealed, according to Paul in verse 8. Whom the Lord shall consume, he, then he, he adds this uh, identity, whom the Lord shall con, uh, consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders. And boy, we're not ready for that. Even Israel, who's expecting a Messiah, is expecting a political leader to bring him to the temple. Not expecting someone with supernatural powers. Not expecting the Son of God, as Isaiah talked about and others. They're expecting simply a political leader. What are the Muslims? What is Islam looking for? The last Mahdi. This guy is going to have all power and signs and lying wonders. Boy, the world's not ready for that. To do miracles? You've got to be kidding. Verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause, get this verse 11, that's our verse for tonight. For this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Not a lie, the lie. Definite article. This is going to be quite a lie. And I don't want to presume on you that I've got some inside word that I know what the lie is. I have my conjectures, and like most of my conjectures, they're probably wrong. Acts 17.11 still applies. Search the scriptures and prove these things to yourself. But the point is, for this cause shall God send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all might be judged who believe not the truth, who had pleasure in unrighteousness. There is a delusion. Let me tell you, frankly, if I want to take the time, I could sell you the pyramid story. If I want to take the time, I could sell you the Stonehenge story. And I would be wrong. You'd be deceived. Somebody will come along with much better capability than I have and sell everyone a story that's even more convincing, more preposterous than what we've touched on tonight. Turn to Matthew 24. Four disciples come to Jesus privately for a secret briefing, a private briefing on the second coming. And he gives them the famous two-chapter answer, Matthew 24 and 25. But all I want right now is verse 24 of Matthew 24. That's all we have time for. For there shall arise false Christs and great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. But fortunately, it's not possible. There is a lie coming, and it's going to be more preposterous than the theory of evolution popularized by Charles Darwin. There are going to be lies that are more popular than any of the heresies that, has plagued, that have plagued the church for 19 centuries. There is a lie surfacing that I personally suspect will mix together our New Age ideas, which is just the ancient Babylonian myths repackaged in modern terms. It's going to have an extraterrestrial space age flavor. And the world will be ready to buy in hook, line, and sinker. Now, one last thing, because we're getting close to the end here. But I have one more slide that I wanted to talk about. We talked about briefly last time. We'll talk a little bit more about this time. I have one more slide of the Great Pyramid. And what I always do before I show the slide is ask you, do any, anybody here traffic in New Age literature? Raise your hand. Oh, you're up to me, aren't you? Okay. Any of you have New Age literature, I want you to turn it in the, in the uh, church office. And what I usually do, if the house lights are up, I have you take out a dollar bill. And on the dollar bill, you will find this interesting little creature. This is the backside of the Great Seal of the United States. The front side has the eagle and the 13 stars and all that stuff, right? 
Okay, the Great Seal of the United States. What on earth is the Great Pyramid doing on the Great Seal of the United States? To give you a complete story of this one, we would have to recount 3,000 years of secret societies to establish an enlightened democracy among the nations of the world in one phrase. We'd lean heavily on the writings of Freemasonry, Manley P. Hall, 32nd degree Mason and so forth, the secret destiny of America and other things that are behind the design of this peculiar uh, symbolism. The Order of the Quest, a subset of the Freemasons, which accrued by the merger of the Illuminati of Europe with the Freemason movement. Now, the Great Seal of the United States is all, believe it or not, wrapped up in the worship of Osiris. In effect, the worship of Lucifer, the sun god. The design of the Great Seal of the United States was accepted by the, Con by the Congress in 1782. But it was the third try. The first committee in July 4th of 1776 was put together Ben Franklin, John Adams, and Thomas Jefferson to design the Great Seal. But they could not agree. So they formed a second committee. And they could not agree. And by the way, one-third of all these guys were Freemasons, by the way. The third committee gave the job to Charles Thompson, the Secretary of the Congress, and his design was accepted on June 20th, 1782. Now, Novos Ordo Seclorum, New World Order, the Anuit Coeptus, or however you pronounce it, means the announcing the birth of. Now, I don't, I'm sorry I don't have the view graph of the backside, the, or what's really the front side, the eagle. The eagle's the United States. Not so. The eagle is the Egyptian sun god Amun-Ra. The Egyptians, the Greeks, and the Persians all worship the eagle as a symbol of the sun god because there's at least a tradition that it's the only creature on the earth that can look directly at the sun. Whether that's true or a myth doesn't matter. It's properly believed by these people. If you look at the eagle on your dollar, you'll discover it has nine tail feathers, which relate to the nine of the innermost circle of enlightenment of the great white brotherhood of the Illuminati. The nine degrees of the York Rite of Freemasonry relate to those nine tail feathers. If you look carefully at the eagle on your dollar bill, you'll notice that the right wing has 32 feathers and the left wing has 33, corresponding to the 32 degrees of the Scottish Rite of Masonry and the 33, the honorary 33rd degree. The all-seeing eye is um, Osiris, again, the uh, god of the sun or of light or, if you will, of Lucifer. Now, what you will see all over the uh, Sea of the United States are 13 leaves in the olive branches, 13 bars and stripes in the shield, 13 arrows, 13 letters in the plurus unum, 13 stars in the crest, 13 large stones in the pyramid, 13 letters in Anuit Coeptus, and uh, so on. 13, this thing was timed so it was approved when there wasn't 12 or 14 but 13 states under the theory that the 13 in the, in the design represent 13 colonies. What blows that apart are the writings of Freemasonry itself in which 13 turn out to actually track back, believe it or not, to the number of Satan. And we could get into all of this, but I'll mention the writings of Arthur Schlesinger, his book, uh, The Coming of the New Deal. He points out that Henry A. Wallace, the vice president under FDR, under his first administration, was fascinated with the occult of Europe. And he, after talking to FDR, talked to the Secretary of the Treasury in 1935 to put this on our dollar bill. He was a Freemason. In the late 20s, 
Henry Wallace was fascinated with a white Russian mystic by the name of Helena Petrovina Blavatsky, one of the major architects, if you will, of what you and I call the New Age. It may interest you to know that, um, well, I won't get into all the politics of the early Congress, but they were dominated with Masons. But the official publication of the Supreme Council of the 33rd degree Scottish Rite Freemasons is, guess what? The New Age. That's their bag. So why do I get into all of this? First of all, I'm not suggesting that you get into the whole pyramid thing. It was not my intention to whet your appetite to get into that whole trip. I really wanted to get into this to, first of all, I believe the way you get immune to something is to get a mild inoculation of the disease. And it was my hope, although I may have been misunderstood by some, that you recognize there are people around that uh, make a big thing of the pyramid and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And praise God, if it works, I, I don't begrudge God can use anything. He can even use Chuck Missler sometimes. Shows you how far he can reach. But whether you're talking about the Great Pyramid or Stonehenge, you're setting yourself up for the occult. You're setting yourself up to getting involved in the lie, the big delusion. Okay, what's your protection against being deceived? What's your protection against being deluded? You won't protect yourself by becoming an expert on the Great Pyramid. You won't protect yourself by becoming an expert on Stonehenge or the Freemasons or the Great Seal of the United States or the Illuminati or the Council for Foreign Relations or the Trilateral Commission or any of that stuff. No way. In fact, you probably set yourself up to get swept right in to the delusion that's coming because John 8:44, Jesus Christ attributes the master liars, Satan himself. And boy, Satan can con you. He cons us all. So how do you protect yourself? Very simple. You've got to be in Jesus Christ. The only protection you have is to be in Jesus Christ, to be supernaturally protected. And most of you in this room, I hope, have made a commitment to Jesus Christ, and so you're on a growth path. It's a question of getting in the Word and learning of Him, in the Word of God, not in chambers of the pyramid, however cute they may be. If there's anyone in this room who has not committed themselves to the person of Jesus Christ, you are in incredible jeopardy. You are in jeopardy not just because you're setting yourself up to be deceived by the so-called wisdom of this world, by the occult, by the nonsense that will be perpetrated as the latest scientific thinking. You're in even greater jeopardy than that. God has a destiny for you that is so fantastic that there's no way you can qualify for it. But not to worry. He's paid the price. He's taken care of it. And it's available for the asking. God just will not tolerate the insult of your trying to earn it because there's no way you can. It's a gift. And he insists that it be grace. If you add something to its wages, not grace. So the destiny, that the grand adventure that God has for you is available for the asking. But the name of the game is to ask for it, to commit yourself to Him, let Him handle it. He can handle the liar. He can handle the delusion. Because He saw to it on a cross 1,900 years ago. The battle is won. The real question is, which side you are going to be on? Now, this is kind of strange stuff tonight. I pretty much reviewed what we did last time and tried to get more clearly into the perspective of it all. But I'm going to ask you to do something very strange tonight. We don't normally do this, and I'm probably a little clumsy at it. But the issue is too important 
It is too important for you and I to handle any other way. We normally, when we break, we have Q&A. People come down and ask questions. Anyone in this room who has not committed themselves personally to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, I would like you, when we stand, to come on down front. We'll pray together. If any of you want to take the opportunity to make a fresh recommitment to Him, I encourage you to do it tonight, because we don't know what tomorrow holds. And I can tell you very frankly, the powers that are behind that seal, the powers that may be behind these strange other things, don't want you to come down. They will intimidate you, make you shy, draw you away, find a social or other reason to not come down. Boy, it's your call. Who's going to win that one? But I'm going to encourage you to come down and just publicly commit yourself by just coming down. We'll pray for a few minutes. But make a stand. Because the warfare you're in, the pawn that you are a part of, the warfare you're a pawn in, is a spiritual warfare. It's not an intellectual one. It's not a scientific one. It, in effect, isn't even a personal one in terms of your lifestyle. If you're waiting to clean up your life to come to the Lord, you've got it backwards. There's no way you can. He'll clean it up for you. He's already paid for whatever you've done. In fact, He's paid what even that which you may stumble into a week or two from now. He's paid it all. How many of your sins were future when He hung on the cross? Answer, all of them. All of them. Even the ones that you haven't fallen into yet. He's paid for it all. And the name of the game is to make sure of your salvation. If I told you with authority that Jesus Christ was going to return tomorrow night at 2 a.m., how do you feel about that? <laughs> Some of you will say, praise God. Yes. For some of you, the thought of that happening sends a trickle of fear down your spine. And that's the Holy Spirit telling you you're not ready. And you can be ready in the privacy of your own will by just committing yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. But he also asks you to declare that publicly by simply coming down and praying for a few moments. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Isaiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.